1: Welcome to Live and Lead for Impact. I'm Kirsten Ross Vogel, your host. Today, I have Kisan Patel with me, and I'm really looking forward to our conversation. He's the founder and CEO of M&A Science with a passion to drive the M&A industry forward. He was an M&A advisor for 10 years in which he sold larger companies such as commercial banks and hotel chains. In 2012, he noticed teams lacked efficient technology to manage deals and created Deal Room, an M&A life cycle management platform. In 2016, he started the M&A science podcast, devoting his time to best practices and lessons learned from real life deals. Kisan then created the M&A science academy in 2020 to offer step-by-step training to those looking to master M&A, featuring courses created by top level practitioners through developing technology Educational content and industry training. Kisan aims to bring better practices to an industry with growing market pressures, transaction values, and competition. Welcome, Kisan.
0: Hey, thanks for having me, Kirsten.
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. You know, I just have to start with tell me, um, because I've worked a little bit in the M and A world, but sometimes, you know, me as the people side of the business, I feel, of course, that's going to be my focus, but I feel like sometimes they don't do enough due diligence in that area. So, what are your of thoughts on that
0: in terms of skipping the diligence and doing MA? no
1: and focusing on like the the people side of the business and and as part of the due diligence the team the leadership those kinds of things is that a part of
0: that's the biggest thing we see trending in the past five years we've traditionally had this finance focused MA approach companies are realizing that doesn't end with the best results And organizations are becoming much more conscious and focused about the people. When we say the people, we mean not only the employees, but also the customers. Uh, With that, I would say a couple of big things are starting to shift. One, what's the end state? Like, what are we actually trying to achieve here? And what is that going to look like when this deal is completed? Can we bring that to the beginning of the process so that executives can get aligned around what they're trying to achieve from both sides and start outlining that go to market what are those actual key things that need to come together to be able to achieve that Uh, this would also include bringing that leadership that's going to be responsible maybe like an integration leader who's going to take charge of these actions have them involved very very early in that process so that they can understand the business, build that relationship with the executives from the company they're acquiring and get those things aligned a lot earlier. I think the other component with it as well is values. Understanding each organization's respected values will help you understand their culture, leadership approaches, what's uniquely different, what are some things that may be starkly different that could be things to address. Uh, this may help identify how the company should be integrated to the depth of integration, or maybe find some differences that are gonna be difficult to mitigate and may warrant the deal not to move forward. Um, and then I, I think with the journey of going through this process, being very mindful about the things that need to be planned for with integration, but also giving visibility to the company that you're acquiring and what's going to happen. So they're not blindsided by this massive amount of change management that occurs as a result of m and Uh, I think those are the key things are that, um, are shifting to the people focus when we see the trend happening in M&A. Yay!
1: I'm <laughs> I just have to celebrate that for a second because uh, for so long it just seemed like there wasn't a focus there. And you know, again, uh, so often when things go totally awry, like I'm the kind of person. I mean, I'm happy to come in and clean it up and help align cultures. And you know, uh, whether it's bringing cultures together or align them with the objectives of the organization. But um, I, yeah, I just always thought that was such a blind spot. Uh, and so um, it's been a bit of time because of COVID, et cetera, that I haven't kind of really been in that world, but I'm really excited to hear that. So starting off with some good news
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for and, me hey, well,
1: anyway, I hope others are excited who are listening.
0: It definitely depends on the maturity of the company too. I, I still think there's a lot of companies that are doing their first, second, third acquisition. They're pretty early they're probably still making the same common mistakes. But I, I I definitely see this as a big emerging trend with more of the mature companies that have done half a dozen or more acquisitions.
1: Great. And and um, so tell me a little bit more. Uh, I know I kind of like si- sidetracked us there quickly, uh, but that was of uh, high interest to me. But so tell me a little bit more about your work and the impact that you're working to make in the world.
0: Sure. We focus on all things m and I, I think was, you Unique about our stories, we started with a focus on technology that we saw this massive opportunity in the MA space with how outdated the the industry and behind it was that, um, that they were basically using email and Excel to do everything to manage billion dollar transactions. We took a lot of inspiration from the software industry, particularly the way software engineers were using these cool project management tools to manage building software and thought, why not for M&A? And that's where the original inspiration for starting our first product deal room emerged in 2012. And, uh, It evolved. I mean, it just started with one problem solving the due diligence problem, then the integration that comes after and building continuity between those stages then pipeline management. So over the past 10 years, that technology product evolved into a full lifecycle management solution. We noticed that there were small firms that needed better solutions too, but they didn't quite need all that robust functionality. So we did a spin-off product called Firm Room as a low-cost option for data security and those kinds of transactions. And about five years ago, a combination of things. One was we noticed there's a bigger problem in the industry and in that the industry was very siloed and lacked standardization and best practices. Around that time, a friend of mine... Andy was encouraging me to start a podcast. I remember him telling me, Hey man, you should do a podcast. And my response was what the hell is a podcast? He's like, don't worry about it. It's the next big thing. You just got to do it. So we essentially married the ideas together of trying to tackle this other issue by leveraging a podcast as a platform to enable practitioners to share lessons learned. So then we can in turn identify the patterns and the proven techniques in the industry which led to evolving that podcast into a full digital media business, where to date we have over 350 published blogs, eBooks, two published books, an online school that we run, and a whole series of events and, and roundtable roundtable series. Um, so the business has evolved to become a hybrid of an educational business and a, a tech business, but all for the greater good of evolving the industry so that these large transactions, M&A tend to be the, the largest transactions in the world, Can be more efficient, have better results. And we hear stories, if you know folks have been involved, where MA happens, a lot, a lot of uh, disruptions happen to the business, people get frustrated, confused, blow ups happen, and people can quit their jobs. And with that, a lot of value gets lost. So I think that when we tie back to the earlier theme, can we ultimately create a better people experience? So that original vision of, uh, the original vision of innovation can be aligned and actually obtained. So people are motivated through that process.
1: That's great. Yeah. I mean, people are always going to be part of the equation. So I'm so happy to hear that there, um, that there's a focus on improving the experience, which, you know, ultimately, uh, you know, comes down to good communication so that there's expectation management to help people work through the you know, the difficulties of change, uh, and hopefully have maybe some input if possible too. So, uh, so I love it. Um, so, um, what personal experiences motivated you, uh, be- besides your friend saying, Hey, you should do a podcast, but, <laughs> but what are some personal experiences that motivated you, uh, to make this unique impact?
0: Obsession. I, I think I've, uh, felt I've had challenges in my personal life. Even starting as an early age, Kirsten, where I was born with a club foot, having immigrant Indian parents, there was no circumstance was I to miss school. So I've always had to have about a half a dozen operations every summer and ended up missing a lot of the the typical uh, sports and and just play time that you would have in the summer. But it was just one challenge. Here's a physical challenge. Going through high school, I struggled with a really short tension span, which was hampering my grades in high school but even got more uh, challenging in college and ultimately failed out of undergrad uh, again just dis- discouraged and, and found that as a personal challenge so i always had this this obsession of finding these areas that I could dominate and win. Even when it was having that that physical handicap, I I was always hopping on one foot. (laughs) So I I, I, I sort of built around that, that realized, hey, I can actually hop a lot higher than other kids and started playing basketball and was pretty good at it for a period of time. Uh, When it came to school, I struggled with it, but I found there's other areas I could focus really well at, which was looking at data and patterns of data and that's what allowed me to get into a career where I could consult companies on buying assets and selling assets because I loved looking at these big data trends and patterns and analyzing company financials and did that really well. Despite not finishing my undergrad, I still was able to to build a career out of it and eventually start my own consulting practice. But there's always this obsession of finding where I could be the best. And that's where it's, it's led me to focusing in certain industries where I got involved in consulting the hospitality industries on assets there. And then eventually small financial institutions like community banks, uh, evaluating those type of businesses, buying and selling them. That's where, when I saw the opportunity to get into the technology side or was searching for the opportunity, uh, I stumbled upon our, um, current business model, which is again, can we find something that we can just dominate? Can we be the best in the world at it? I think that's like the real driver to get to where we are today.
1: Oh, there's so many great lessons in the, in what you just shared. Um, And I love the tenacity one. And also that flexibility Uh, it it comes to mind that, uh, oh, it's just the little story about like the um, I forget if it's the bird or the frog, but you know, you say the bird isn't valuable because it isn't good because it can't swim or vice versa. You know, the frog, the frog can't fly. So it's not good. So it's really about, um, you know, finding what we can be good at. And there are times that we fail in one area. And if we stop everything and all progress and all uh, creativity because of a failure, we miss out on the opportunity to go figure it out, you know, find what you're good at and go do that. Um, and it's okay to not be good at all things. And um, yeah, and that just the tenacity that you had, that must have been so difficult missing out on all the summers and, you know, having surgeries and, uh, you know, and then working hard through the school year with, with the disability. So, um, yeah, I love, I love that story. I also just saw something recently on Twitter that I thought, you know, Twitter, Twitter, but, um, it was a very inspirational thing. And it was, um, it was this, this picture of an old car and a dad gave the car to his daughter and said, you know, uh, go see what they'll give you for this car. And the first pay, place said a thousand, a thousand dollars, you know, cause it's old. And then the dad said, well now take it to the pawn shop. And the pawn shop said, oh, it's so old, it would take a lot to rehab it. We'd only give you a hundred dollars. Well, then he said, well, go to an auto. I forget what it's called, but like the people that really uh, value older cars, like uh, antique vehicles. Uh, and there she could get a hundred thousand dollars. And so it was not, you know, you don't define your value by, um, you know, just because one group or set of people or circumstance says that you don't have value, you go find where you're aligned and then you have value. So anyway, uh, I, I think that, um, I feel like that's aligned with what you just shared that you just kept going and, and found ways to find what you were good at. And, uh, yeah, I love it. So thanks so much for sharing that. Happy um, to. Yeah. So um, when you think back to um, an impact that you've made, maybe it's with one client or one M&A group or one specific deal. Um, I love to have people share what fuels their own passion, because I think as entrepreneurs or, you know, nonprofit you know, there's always going to be challenges. And so keeping our eye on the prize and realizing this is why I do what I do is helpful. So thinking back to those stories where you really made a difference. So um, can you share for you what that story is?
0: Yeah, I mean- we, we get wrapped up in just a, the nature of the business we work. We always have these NDA agreements where basically you can't tell the client and what you did, but, you know, happy to share just some general examples. Yeah. Uh, a lot of it is really around creating efficiency for these organizations. When we work with them, they just don't know better. They've been doing the same thing the same way for maybe a decade or longer, and they just very manual Uh, When we're able to come in and essentially build a system for them and say, hey, here's a technology we have, but we're going to fit it for your use case and take all these myriad of Excel trackers that you have to scope or detail out the steps of your process when you buy a company. We're going to digitize it into this platform so everybody has access to it. You're not emailing these things around. You're not um, going down this massive checklist uh, only to realize 20 to 40 percent of it wasn't even relevant you can actually clear create some priorities and make it very clear. Uh, it just it creates so much of a better working environment, especially when you can create this visibility. Um, the challenge with M& A is comes in two parts. One, it's the information management that you typically start off a transaction with a little bit of information and then as it progresses, you get more and more information. So that's a whole effort to manage it because eventually you'll end up with a lot of information that needs to be reviewed and, and um, acted on. And then along with that is people, you have a few people in the beginning of a transaction that you stack more and more people into this process and being able to manage all the parties involved, keeping them aligned around priorities, uh, allowing them to really have access to the information they need to give them transparency so they're not working in silos, uh, disconnected that they can actually work together, connect the dots, identify the underlying risk in a transaction or even opportunities. It's a a big thing for us to work with a variety of companies. I remember working with one of the Fortune 500 manufacturing companies and uh, the big challenge that I knew coming into it was this an old organization that's so set on doing things the way they are. How are we going to create any change? And I, I think for me, this was a big eye-opener just because I didn't know what to do. So I think you sort of over or try to over-effort when you don't know what to do. And I remember wanting to talk to as many people as I could before I had the big meeting with the team. So I had at least like three or four separate conversations with various folks in various departments. And the the big theme I had was, what's the biggest challenge that you currently face? And I, I just listened. I wanted them to talk. I wanted to take a bunch of notes. I wanted them to understand where do they see the problems in their process and in their line of work. And I, I kept doing these interviews and it was really interesting because everybody had a completely different view. Nobody said the same thing. So I finally got to go meet the client on site. We did a round table with all the key participants. So it was about seven folks. And, and like I said, about four of them I've already had prior conversations with. And to kick things off, I said, look, you know, I'm here just to try to do the best I can to, to share some ideas and propose some of the solutions that we've worked with other clients on. Um, but the first thing I want to do is just get aligned on your priorities. I got a bunch of notes and things I've heard from various folks in various departments. And the only thing I want to do is just prioritize this so we're all lined on what the biggest thing is that we want to tackle and what order. And I remember going through these things and it was such an interesting uh, time because one, I feel like it created a lot of, I don't know if like, it's like a level up, but in some ways empathy where folks that didn't understand some of the challenges that people in different departments or different parts of the deal had now had a better understanding of it because a lot of it was just repeating their language that they told me. I think the other parts that were really valuable was some solutions were pretty obvious. Like, as when you're just talking about it, there was things that maybe wasn't even software related or anything, just practices that could easily be applied and make a significant impact. And just helping the team realize that without much effort was a great success. And then ultimately there was things that did require some efforts to make greater impact, but it was really clear. On why. So ultimately doing this created a compelling reasons to adopt these changes. And it really surprised me on how much impact and change we made on this pretty old and stodgy organization by spending the time to listen to the stakeholders and then allowing them to to have that discussion or help facilitating that discussion so they can in turn uh, hear each other out. And just level up, empathize with each other, and be able to understand what the each person's unique challenges are, uh, and then be able to organize that into a compelling reason to adopt changes and, and ultimately drive those changes.
1: I uh, I love that story, and it it isn't it amazing how uh, so often because I know very often when I go into an organization and I do some kind of an assessment with them, which is kind of a fancier term for just talking and collecting data, kind of like what you did a little bit more formal. But yeah, so often, a lot of it is just people are in the world of assumption versus uh, actually communicating about individual challenges and putting those puzzle pieces together and helping them get a clearer picture of how the departments work or what the challenges are versus what perceived challenges are. That already, yeah, you you probably just seemed like a superpower <laughs> to them. And um, But yeah, it's always, it's often, you know, like you said, like the low hanging fruit, those, those simple solutions that are right in front of their eyes, but they're not aware because they just haven't talked through it. And then um, kudos for uh, getting an old, probably bureaucratic red tape laden organization to make such a big change. I love it.
0: Yeah. It was a, uh, it was a good experience. And I guess for myself too, I didn't come from as much of uh that type of consulting background you know, if anything, I was probably knocking some of the consultants with, with that approach, but realize how powerful it is just to come in as a third party mediator and just take the time and listen to everybody. It just really, really goes a long ways.
1: Yeah, for sure. So um, what kinds of organizations, what size organizations do you do you mostly work with? Say a little bit more about who should reach out to you.
0: We do corporate MA. So it's usually billion plus market cap organizations that are doing three or more acquisitions a year and then we also work with private equity backed roll-ups companies that are consolidating an industry which happens in a variety of spaces um, a lot of specialized clinics school private schools uh, like we have some security agencies but a variety of industries that are consolidating our other great clients for us to work with
1: great So tell me, uh, I mean, you told a story about how you stayed motivated and moving during tough times as a child. But as an adult, how have you adapted those strategies? And, uh, you know, what is it mindset or, uh, you know, what do do you use to keep yourself moving when you hit bumps in the road?
0: It gets interesting because I have three little kids now. So I I always have to uh, try to instill these things in them to say, hey, dad struggled with this when I was a kid. And I think the first thing was purpose, that I I didn't have this clearly defined purpose. So I I tell my kids, I said, look, I'm going to give you one. uh, And then you can shape as you grow up but for your current purpose is to find what you love to do and be the best in the world at it. And uh, my daughter's the oldest of the three, uh, she's 11 now. So you, you always drive at her. How do you achieve that? How, how do you able to make that happen? And uh, her lighthearted response would be to focus and work 10 times harder than everybody else. But one, one of the things that we talk about is the importance of desire that I, the example I use is imagine because she likes to do track and run. So imagine you're, you're going to a race and there's eight people racing. You got one person on one end who's like, wow, these people are pretty good. I don't know if I'm going to win, but I'm going to give it my best. And on the other end, you got another race per, racer participant that's uh under no circumstance where I let anybody beat me. I'm going to give this 200% and make sure I win. Uh, and I ask her like who do you think's more likely to win? And she says, "Well, the, the latter person." And I'm like, "Well, let's talk about why." And the the theme of this is that the person with that that greater level of desire would put a parallel effort parallel at level of effort along with that desire right more desire just more effort goes into it uh and usually the person that puts in more effort has the results that they're looking for they get a parallel level of results so that's where we always talk about that importance of mindset to be able to fuel yourself for that that desire so that you can ultimately get the results you're looking for. Um, and there's a little bit of, of your mindset, and this is where we get more into values. Uh, the the three values I push with the kids are discipline, learning pattern, and empathy. Uh, that discipline is part of that. Like, can you get comfortable doing these things that you may otherwise be uncomfortable doing. Can you get in that mindset from the moment you wake up that it's time to play the game and be very objective about the things that you need to do to achieve and get the results that you desire? Um, Learning pattern is important because along the way, we need to constantly learn new skills. We need to learn them as quick as we can and that we all have our unique ways of learning things, um, but we want to make sure it's comprehensive. So when we think about how we learn and our ability to learn, looking at the different channels and building that into a pattern so that you can be efficient uh, about how you learn. Uh, so with that, it's a combination of, are you learning things online? Are you looking at blog posts, Wikipedia? Are you looking at books, which I think is I neglected? I hated reading books till I was in my thirties until I really understood the value of reading books and the rules of reading books. You don't know, like the book, just stop reading the book, find another book. Um, but it just helps you so much to be able to, to develop your neuroplasticity so that your mind's strong and can focus better. And plus people like take a whole lifetime of knowledge and put it in a book and publish it. A lot of value. And then learning from others, subject matter experts, that there's not only looking at these resources that that you'll come across um, in a reading format, but being able to identify who are experts out there that you can network with and spend a little time to learn from their experience, just like these podcast interviews that we do. Uh, Then the, the third one is with empathy. I think this is the one that is really critical in building both professional and personal relationships. But a lot of times we enter these conversations, we have an agenda and it gets difficult not to think about our own agenda, but to really be able to put that aside, or even if you're entering a conversation where you think you may know more than the other person about the topic and discussion, put that aside. Can you assume what you know is wrong or that you know nothing? And really, really intently listen, listen to what the other person's thinking how they feel, why they feel that way, what are their goals, what are their challenges? How can you align yourself to help them overcome those challenges or achieve those goals? And that just allows you to build much, much stronger relationships and get a lot further. And uh, people tend to reciprocate when you do that. They're, they're willing to hear you out and help you out as well. So I, I think just kind of building around some values that you can be really conscious about really helps you propel yourself forward.
1: Well, I love how all of those are around intention and really staying focused. Uh, There was so much in there as you were talking about the, um, you know, how do you want, how hard do you want to work at it? What level of dedication do you have? You know, what do you want to achieve? Uh, That also brought to mind that to do that, we need to be so good at setting good boundaries, saying yes and no appropriately. And uh, man, if your kids can get that one down, Um, at their ages, that would be amazing Uh, because so many adults let other people dictate their entire days, you know, by uh, all the requests that come in. And if we say yes to everything, then before we know it, other people are dictating all of our time and it's hard to, or impossible to hit the goals that we have for ourselves. But at the same time, you do want to build in that empathy and not be fully self-centered. So I love that too. Like think of the other person. Uh, I know so often when, um, you know, if I have clients who are so afraid of networking And they're like, well, I don't know what to say. You don't have to say anything. People love it when you go with authentic curiosity to learn about them. Just go with a couple of quick question starters, you know, to get the conversation rolling and that's all you need to worry about. So, um, yeah, how wonderful. I love that. Um, I love those values that you're sharing with your kids and those I'll, will be helpful to the listeners too.
0: I liked your, I like your, uh, uh, abbreviated version, triage your priorities and be genuinely curious.
1: Oh, well, I like the way you said that. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, for sure. And um, yeah, and don't be a people pleaser. <laughs> <laughs> um, So, uh, well, thank you so much. I feel like you have shared so much value for the listeners. Do you have any additional words of wisdom just for others who are either just on the beginning, the journey of making their own impact in the world or, you know, or maybe hitting some hiccups along the way? What would you I, say to them?
0: I think, you know, we we talked a lot about we talked on a lot of different things, you know, having these sort of core values, being conscious about it. I, I think the one thing that it took me a while was to build like a behavioral change you know, how do you build something into a real habit that becomes a part of you? And if you can make that part of your morning ritual, like I have a calendar invite and first thing in the morning to remind me the things I want to work on, whether it's a, a type of meditation I'm working on to go do 15 minutes yoga, uh, to work on breathing exercises, to remind myself that for the longest time I mumbled because I dropped off the end of words and didn't pronounce them fully. So I just put a reminder to Pronounce the end of words, uh, you know, these little things. If you can really try to get that to be part of a, a morning ritual, to be really conscious about those things that you're working on, I think that's what helps you evolve as a person. Because otherwise, you, we tend to, you know, go back to our, our ways. But if you can make it into the habit to remind yourself early in the morning, like, what, what are those key things that you're trying to change? Are you trying to become a better listener? Great. Remind yourself that. So throughout the day, that's something that you can work on. I think that's the one thing is it's putting that that discipline to make changes in your uh, your behavior.
1: And what I also hear in there is just like little changes at a time, but with consistency. Because before you know it, um, you know you've made dramatic changes over time that that keep you heading in the right direction. But I love the, the um, yes, yeah, and just. Just bits at a time. Yeah, like you were saying, you know, a quick meditation or 15 minutes of yoga. Uh, The goal doesn't need to be for this week to, you know, completely transition your whole, uh, you know, exercise routine. It's just, you know, add in some, you know, make some shifts and small, small pieces, small doses. So that's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Kisan, for for spending time with me today. I really loved our our talk today. And if you want to connect with him, uh, all of his links will be available on today's show notes, but you can find him at LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and then uh, Twitter. He's Deal Room Inc. At, on Twitter, but you'll find all of these links by going to today's show notes. You can find those by going to defeatthedrama.com. And again, if you're in that MA world, absolutely need to check out his academy or sounds like work with his team to find some uh, technology to improve the way that you're uh, working on those transactions. So thanks again, Kisan, for for spending time with me today.
0: My pleasure, Kirsten. Thank you. Enjoying the conversation.
1: All right. And everyone get out there, make your own bigger, bolder impact. And if you are uh, in need of just a little bit tweaking in your leadership, communication, selection strategies, uh, for sure, head to myimpactacademy.com forward slash join, where you can gain immediate access to all kinds of digital content to help you there. Uh, And you can also spend some time with me uh, virtually. So I would love to see you there. All right. Make it a great day. And thanks for joining.